Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me tonight is Zach King, the assistant pastor of Heart of Junction Church in Grand Junction, Colorado. Unfortunately, tonight's podcast is not going to be live on Facebook or YouTube. We had some audio video problems. So we are just going to record this. Uh, Obviously, you're going to be able to listen to this on any of our podcast platforms, but we would ask that you would join us every Sunday night at 7 p.m. so that you can be a part of our live video, which you can find on the Bible Thumper Podcast Facebook page and the Bible Thumper Podcast YouTube channel. So with that, welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast where somebody's got to say it. Zach King, thank you for joining us. How are you doing this evening? I am doing really well, Patrick. Thanks for having me in. Oh, awesome. I'll tell you what, (laughs) I had a day. If today were a fish, I'd have thrown it back. Mm. Excellent. But I'm happy to be here. So, Zach, we started and we got a minute or two into the podcast, find out that the audio was garbage and we had to stop and start over. So this is round two. So it should be a lot more smooth. Oh, pristine. I mean, (laughs) this is going to work out really well. I'm excited. So I'm going to start with the same question I had before, which was, Zach, tell me the number one problem in American Christianity that you've experienced as an assistant. See, I'm I'm afraid anytime I say assistant pastor, I'm going to, it's going to sound patronizing. Or I'm gonna like oh, no. I'm gonna no. land on assistant. And I'm gonna hit that too hard. <laughs> okay, and I don't mean to do that. No, no, no. Yeah, okay. don't, don't worry about that at all. That's the job title. It's what I do. Okay, so what is the number one problem you see in Christianity in America today? Yeah. And, and I'll give you the same answer we started with. Okay. Um, I really do believe that, to varying degrees, mm-hmm. and in all sorts of different ways, mm-hmm. that just basic biblical illiteracy is the number one oh yeah zach the studio audience agrees go ahead that's, hit him with another that's excellent yeah um <clears throat> i think for years and years of years a lot of people have done their very best mm-hmm. to teach the bible the best way they know how faithfully week after week after week mm-hmm. in all sorts of places all over the world now zach is not Talking about my church. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but go ahead. Your experience. Yes, my experience. Um, but I, I just think that we've missed the mark a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of gaps in good, strong, biblical understanding. Sure. That, that have grown over the years. Mm-hmm. I think we... Um, I don't want to say that we foster the growth of those gaps. Mm-hmm. I don't think that people are sitting and thinking to themselves, okay, let's make some Sunday school curriculum, but let's not talk about any of these eight essential things. Sure. It's not intentional. It's not intentional. But over the course of time, as people become more distracted, as there's so much for people to do all over the place, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, young kids go to college, people get married, they have kids, they're working long jobs all day. We, we've just missed the mark on our biblical or or total front to back Genesis to revelation understanding of how the Bible works, what it is, 
how it operates and what it's meant to do. Okay. I want to tell you something that a buddy of mine told me the other day. Actually, you know, you know, Caleb. Yeah. My, my typical co-host. I was talking with Caleb and every once in a while, prop, I mean, at least once a month, we are talking a little bit about how can we make this podcast better? You know, what can we do? And, uh, you know, the fact is there's just no room for improvement. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> oh, we're batting it. <laughs> but one of the things Caleb was, was talking to me about was that in his life, he said, Patrick, I probably have three people that I know that I can talk to the, to, that I can talk to about the Bible and have a conversation where I really enjoy it. And we really get into stuff. He says, I know lots of Christians. I mean, lots of them. He said, but most of them have no desire whatsoever to talk about the Bible. They're happy to go to Christian concerts where they play, you know, praise and worship music for hours and hours, and they love talking about the love of God and the blessings of God and encouraging everyone. But as far as talking anything about the Bible, he says they're just not interested. And I would probably echo what Caleb said in that I can count the number of people that I have in my life where I know I can sit down and talk to them about the Bible. I can number those people on one hand. What's your experience with that? No, no, just about the same. And I mean, I, I've sort of, I've built some groups of people into my pastoral life. Mm -hmm. It's like, I have lunch on Thursday with a group of guys. I got a group of, of other pastors I meet with once a month on Monday nights. Mm -hmm. And I got, um, I'm an assistant pastor. So I've got you know, Darren and I can sit down anytime. Sure. I got some other buddies from across the country. But outside of those that are in the ministry, which let's face it, we would hope you could talk to them about the Bible sure. and have a good <laughs> conversation, right? Like, Absolutely. aren't we all assuming that you should be able to do that with anyone that's a pastor? Yes. Okay. We are. And outside we should. of those... I built those groups in mm -hmm. because partly because I needed a place to bounce some things off some other pastors, sure. um, but also because of that same reason. Mm -hmm. It's like, look, if I want to talk about something that's really, and I don't want to be too hard on people. Oh, that's where, fine. Where you, it's like, you be con you're good cop. Yes. People yes. are used to me being the mean guy on this podcast. So, so go ahead. Somebody's got to say yeah, it. Yeah. Somebody's got to say it, buddy. Go ahead. I, I've got more time. Mm-hmm to study the Bible sure. than everyone that I pastor. No, I get it. I right. totally get that. Sure. Sure. But, but there are other guys like me, for instance. Okay. Who we have a single income family of eight people. I yeah. live on a farm. I'm self-employed, right? I got six kids to deal with. Okay. Well, the fact is Zach, any one of us can make time if we want to read the Bible. Almost everything about the Bible turns out to be this double-edged sword. Uh-huh. Where it's like, yeah, it's a long book. Yes. And, it, and it's 66 of them together. <laughs> yes. In one place. And they all tell one story. And it's not the easiest book to understand. No. And that's the other, like, part of the illiteracy comes from all the questions that arise when sure. you actually read it. Yeah. But if you don't have any good answers to those questions, then it's just all confusion. Okay. Now, again, I'm going to challenge that. Because we live in the information age. Sure, sure. Zach, I can spell out the first three letters of what I'm trying to research into Google and then basically lean on the keyboard and it's <laughs> going to bring up the answer to my question. 
the idea the idea that we cannot find the information or find intelligent, easy to understand answers to our biblical questions, I believe is absolutely nonsense. You and I started reading the Bible, studying the Bible and teaching the Bible before the internet was really even a thing. Oh yeah. And I remember having like four or five books in front of me going back and forth, turning these pages, trying to find the verses and find some, it was a nightmare. My dad still does it that way. No way. The Strong's Concordance, everything out on the dinner table, the yellow legal pads. Yeah. And he's just got stacks and stacks of these things, all the notes he's taken over the years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then uh-huh. you type it in, though, mm-hmm. and, and you go, you know, if you read three of them mm-hmm. and you get three different answers. Oh, yeah. And then you go, oh, what do I do? Okay, so that sounds like people don't even have a good foundation. Because if you have a foundation of, I know what I believe, I know the basics of what the Bible says, I have these foundational principles, then I can dismiss certain things out of hand very quickly. This is nonsense. I'm not going to read more than the first, you know, 10, 12 sentences of this article because I know where this guy's coming from. Yes. And, and I know not everyone is there. No. But that's, that's what we're talking about. People aren't there. And then I think on a deeper level, even too, when you have that foundation in place, you could read a couple of different articles or two different books or whatever that, that teach two different things, mm-hmm. but you can, you can weigh out both of them mm-hmm. equally based on that foundation. And like, there's a lot of things that we don't know for sure yet sure. and people disagree on things and yeah. people have some ideas and, and, and other ideas and you can read those and weigh them out. But that foundation, and, and I think part of what's going on is we've made our Bible learning a lot like, um, I don't know if it's a lot like school necessarily, but like, you know the story about Samson. Okay. And so if I, if I ask you five multiple choice questions mm-hmm. about the Samson story, can you check the boxes? Okay. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. jawbone of a what? Mm-hmm. And you go donkey, yeah. yeah. And you and you check the boxes, mm-hmm. and you go, okay, so I know a lot about the Bible. Yeah. But then somebody asks you, like, okay, what role was Samson fulfilling mm-hmm. in God's plan for the Jewish people, mm-hmm. and why? <laughs> and you go, that wasn't on the yeah. multiple choice <laughs> test, right? But those are the questions we need to know the answers to. Yeah. And so uh, there's nothing wrong with, like, I want to be able to check all those boxes as well. Sure. But there, there are deeper levels of things that are going on in the scriptures. And that's where we start getting confused about like, and I had somebody at church this morning tell Mm -hmm. me this same thing about her kids. And she says, look, the more and more I start to understand about what God's plan is, Mm -hmm. the beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. And the more I can see how each of the stories are fitting into that plan, the more and more I'm wondering if what, if the education that I've been building for my kids from the Bible is building the wrong skeleton for them to fill in later. Mm. Because the skeleton is like, you read the story, you glean the moral principle, Mm -hmm. you execute the moral principle. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, you read the story, you know, the answers, you draw the picture, 
you do what the person in the story did. Again, I don't have a real problem with that, Mm -hmm. but there's deeper levels of meaning to what's happening. And that's part of what we lost. And so we have no, nobody outside the church is saying, Hey, do you remember what it was that Samson killed all those people with? Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a jawbone, right? Sure. They don't want to know any of that stuff. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So let me ask you this because we're really talking about two things. We're talking about milk and we're talking about meat. Yes. Okay. I, I don't think anyone is going to disagree if we say that Christians in America today are not seeking after the meat. What I'm going to say, and, and I think your answer of biblical illiteracy being the number one problem in American Christianity today, that would be exactly my answer. That's exactly my answer. Because when I think about it, my number one goal as a pastor is simply to get my people reading the Bible every day and studying the Bible. That more than anything is my goal. Yeah. Because I know that if they're doing that, then God will be speaking to them through the words they read in the book, and God can start really putting pressure on them in the direction that he wants them to go. But I feel like if people are not reading their Bible and praying regularly, that's not a habit of theirs, then they basically have missed baby step one and two. There was one pastor that I knew, and, and this was a guy that I read. I, n- I never knew him. As a matter of fact, I think he died before I was, before I was alive. But I, this guy, he was a pastor of a very large uh, church in Detroit, and he would have people come in for marriage counseling, and he would tell them, okay, come on in. We're going to meet at this time, yada, yada. You know, bring your Bibles. Let You know, we'll chit-chat. And he would uh, have them come in. He would take their Bibles from them. He would flip through their Bibles. He'd give them back, and he'd say, go home. We're done. Wow. And they would say, wait, what? He said, you guys don't read your Bibles. And they would look at each other, and they, they knew they didn't. Of course. He said, you don't underline anything. You don't highlight anything. There's no notes in there. The Bible doesn't even feel like a book that is opened every day and read. He said, if you're not reading your Bible, God can't even help you. What do you think (laughs) I'm going to be able to do? And that was it. And he would send people away constantly. And he would say, I'm not going to start marriage counseling until I know that you guys are reading your Bible. Go home, read your Bible every day for six months, come back to me and we can start. Mm -hmm. And he would weed through so many people because of that basic principle, which is if you're not doing steps one and two, you know, then what do you think I'm going to do for you? Yeah. 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 There's not much he can do about the other ones. And I, I agree with that. And so when Paul says, um, that they're, uh, I believe it's Corinthians. Wait, who's Paul? Yeah. Who's Paul? (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about acts, Patrick. Yeah. (laughs) Did you? So, um, so when Paul says that um, they're still on the milk and they ought yeah. to be, they ought to be on the meat by now. Yeah. Part of what he's saying is mm-hmm. the milk has done its job in you. Yeah. Like the the milk is necessary, mm-hmm. but it's done its work. Yeah. And so when it's done its work, you move on to the meat. Yeah. Every animal gets weaned at some point. And okay, so how about this for another one? Um, I see a failing for us as pastors. Oh boy, that's the next place. As sitting there continually trying to bottle feed every Christian. 
And that the problem is the, the number of Christians that do finish with the milk and they're weaned and they're ready for weightier subjects, we never get down to it because maybe part of the problem with Christianity today is that we are uh, teaching or playing to the lowest common denominator and you have Christians that are getting frustrated because you and me are holding them down and, and kneeling on their chest and trying to <laughs> jam a bottle into their mouth and they're like, dude, I'm a fully grown man. I don't need a bottle anymore. Is that? No, that's good. Yeah. If I mean, there's there's two places where you could where you could start to well three places maybe that you could start to lay some blame, mm-hmm. right? And, and I, if I would do that, it would be because I think it's helpful so that we can repent and do better and move on, right? And so yeah. one would be yeah, like the church leaders mm-hmm. who are doing the primary teaching, fathers mm-hmm. who are doing the primary teaching, Get them. and then the people themselves Mm -hmm. who also have some responsibility to like, there's only so many times I can show up at your house and open your Bible for you. Absolutely. Right. And so, so there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of responsibility to have been passed around, but I, but boy, do I feel that, um, on, on Sunday morning in my Sunday school class, Mm -hmm. I've got 15 people or so anywhere from 10 to 15. Mm Mm-hmm. We've been working on Romans for 15 months. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, we are doing some heavy lifting in there. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> 15 months of Romans, huh? 15 months. Yeah. How far are you into Acts? You know what? Let's not talk about okay. that. Okay. Back, back to Romans. Yeah. So 15 months into, into Romans. But like, if I'm teaching that class... And then, uh, and that goes from nine fifteen to ten fifteen. Yeah. And then at ten thirty, I'm up in front of the entire congregation to give a sermon. Mm-hmm. If I was using the same passages, mm-hmm. I would I would give two different sermons. Sure. And so there there's a difficult balance, and this is this will get back to the quote I wanted to to read for you. I'll get it pulled up here, but there's a difficult balance in. Having a group of people together mm-hmm. that aren't all ready to eat the same meal, yeah, and being and feeding them, mm-hmm. like how do you go about doing it? But that's why I think it's so important, not necessarily even for just smaller congregations, but I do think there's huge advantage to that. But smaller groups within congregations, mm-hmm. right? Where I can, so we have a group of grandmas, yeah. And they were in between Bible studies. They just finished one on the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. They're moving into one on um, listening to God's voice when he speaks to you. Mm-hmm. They called me up. They said, look, we're going to have a week in between. We didn't get all the books in. Would you come talk to us about heaven? Okay. And I came and did two hours on heaven. Like, this is what we know. This is what Tom and Jerry tried to teach you. Um, <laughs> like th- th- This is what our hope is moving mm-hmm. forward. And... But they're, they're all sort of in that same place, ready for that same thing. And so having groups of people like that in congregations together during the week is huge. Okay, so now what you are talking about with a small group is really the tool that a lot of churches use, which is the Sunday school class, which for me, 
I would never want to go to a church that didn't have a Sunday school type program in that manner, because that is where you will usually get into deeper subjects. And I've been to your Sunday school class. I know that you being in Romans for 15 months during that time, Every time Paul quotes a verse in the Old Testament, you go back to it. Oh, these guys are wearing out Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. so you're going all over the place in the Bible, and that's the same thing. I mean, honestly, Zach, I have no idea how long we've been in Acts, but it's so long (laughs) that people are wondering if we're ever going to be done. Like, we crossed the halfway point a couple weeks ago, and everyone was like, oh, finally. But when we're going through it, we're so much all over the Bible that it's not really like we're only studying this one book. Oh, yeah. 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 So in the same way, now you're talking about a small group that is going to meet apart from, you know, the main church service on a different night. And there you're going to find people that want to get into a deeper subject. Okay. So let me ask you this, Zach, because for those of you that don't know, uh, I, Patrick Hayes, am the pastor of a small church which still meets in my home. And our high, the most we've ever had, is 37 people, which is close to the most we can have in our home. We're going to be possibly outgrowing our home, hopefully by the end of the summer, but we'll see. Zach, what is your average, what is your high at your church? You guys keep numbers, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So average attendance is probably... um, you know, in the last six months or so, is probably around 100. We had about 130 today, 135. Okay. So in Zach's case, with these small groups, the follow-up question I have is, what's the percentage of your church that's in a small right. group? How many of them? Sure. And, and I was thinking about this on the way over. Mm-hmm. I really like the church that God has put me mm-hmm. in in has given me responsibility to pastor. I think we're doing a lot of things really, really well. Mm-hmm. I think I got a lot of people that want meat all the time mm-hmm. and they're doing it. And so then I start counting up the small groups in my head. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would say maybe 25% mm-hmm. of those. And I would guess that that's a kind of high number. Yeah, I was thinking that I was not thinking that most churches would be able to get 25% of their average number into it, a small group where they're studying the Bible. They need to, more get, a gra- they need to get a grandma's group together. That's what That's they, what need. they need. I mean, these gals, they're taking over the world, man. But and you know what? Um, I would say, and this is my guess, an older group like that is going to be easier to get together into a small group than a group our age or younger. They meet on Tuesday mornings at 930. Sure. So they have. The and flex- then when they're done, they go yeah. have lunch together. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. So for other folks that are not retired and folks that are a lot younger, I feel like the problem is not with the older folks. I feel like the problem is really with the next generation coming up behind us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me <clears throat> let me change gears here and let me tell you a little bit about what I'm running into. On this podcast, we are live on Facebook and on YouTube on Friday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So I've been trying to build up my YouTube audience and I'm putting more videos up there, videos that I've done in the past. And let me tell you, I am getting 
almost exclusively negative comments on these videos. Exclusively? Yes. Nothing but negative comments, making fun of me uh, for my beliefs, you know, um, and what I'm teaching. Do you want to know where these negative comments are coming from? Well, I got to guess what I think you're going to say, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I would like to know. Exclusively Christians. Yeah, I mean, that that doesn't... so it's th- a double-edged sword. It th- this doesn't podca- surprise me, but I but I don't <laughs> yeah. like it. Yeah. So this podcast obviously is all about the Bible. I mean, that's that's what we talk about here. So it is getting in front of groups of people on the internet that are on these different Christian groups, or it's a suggested video for these folks that are following these other videos mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. pastors and preachers and different things. And I'm getting made fun of from the by these Christians for videos that I do on creation versus evolution, talking about how God created everything, talking about how the earth is not millions and billions of years old. Uh, I'm getting made fun of for standing up and saying that God is against homosexuality and against homosexual marriage and all of these things are a sin and God's not okay with it. And I am just getting laughed at by people and every single one of them somewhere in their comment, they let it slip that they are a Christian. And you know, this is the reason that I don't understand the Bible. Right. Interesting. Yep. So I mean, I got, I got a lot of questions about all of that, but, um, but I think that kind of goes back to my, that goes back to my original idea. And I think, you know, the, the lady I was talking to this morning, I think she's got a really good point it's easy for us to build a skeleton of what we, what we think is, is giving people milk. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to build a skeleton that when you start putting all the parts of it mm-hmm. onto the skeleton later on, as people grow, they look at it and they go, wait a minute, this doesn't, I can't figure out how to build this body. This, this puzzle doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. And some of those topics that you're bringing up are some of the ones that's like, if the skeleton is, well, Jesus said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and mm-hmm. you love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. If that becomes, well, God said, you love your neighbor as yourself. And my my neighbor says they want to do this. Yeah. And God said to love them. And sure. so the way that I love them is, is by supporting whatever they're supporting doing. Them. And so you can build an improper skeleton. I get it. That you're hanging everything else on. And I, the Bible is big and it is complex. Yeah. But then on the flip side, it's like, it's not really that big. Yeah. No. And it's, (laughs) there's some confusion and there's a lot of things that aren't completely laid out in, and, and, um, and super, super clear, Mm -hmm. but there's an awful lot of things that are, there's a lot of things that are short and explicit and there's no wiggle room whatsoever. Whatsoever. So, I believe that most people have never even read that bit of information. My, my thought is that biblical illiteracy in America is bad to a point where people mostly hang their hat on bumper sticker Christianity. Oh, yeah. You, you know, three, four, five word slogans. And that's what they, that's what they hear and that's what they repeat they see a a video and 
they watch it for five or 10 seconds or they see the, you know, just the thumbnail and they get the title and they build their doctrine on that. And I think people are not building their doctrine on what did God actually say? The slogan that makes me just want to pull my beard out and, you know, causes blood to shoot out of my eyes every time I hear it is this slogan, what would Jesus do? Okay, because oh, okay, yeah. I hear that slogan all the time, and I see it on T-shirts and on little rubber bracelets, like, and I'm like, "Die for your sins." Yeah, like is that? <laughs> well, here's my here's my point. You know, counterpoint to what would Jesus do? We know what Jesus did. Sure, there there is more written about what Jesus did while he was on Earth than any human being that we have ever written a book about. We know exactly what Jesus did. And you want to know something? Nobody cares what Jesus did. Nobody wants to hear what Jesus did because nobody wants to do any of the things that Jesus did. They just want to take one story that they happen to like and they want to hang their hat on that and they want to feel like they are a Christian now and they're acting like a Christian because they got mm-hmm. one thing right. But it doesn't seem to have anything to do you know, with these 66 books and this black leather binding we call the bible yeah yeah you got or you got a little meme that you can post about Mm -hmm. it or yeah it's all over facebook but so and then the flip side of that is also if you if you are reading along reading along Mm -hmm. and you find something that doesn't make that much sense or you can't figure out what it is that god is actually saying about it you can just sort of brush that stuff off toward the side and then so what you're left with is a skeleton that's the, the foundation of what you believe about Jesus that's like, it's not that hard to not put it together well. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a degree to which everybody has, even in our in our basic theology, some stuff that we could get tightened up just because sure. just we're people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can, the the greatest commandment is one I've really been thinking about a lot. Because it's very, very clearly, Old and New Testament, both, mm-hmm. all three times in the Gospels, the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Yep. And the second is like it. Mm-hmm. You love your neighbor as yourself. If you disengage those two parts from each other. Yeah, you have a train wreck. So you have love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And we're just going to focus on that one. Treat other people the way you would like to be treated. And mm-hmm. you're like, well... The way that I would like to be treated is if I had made a decision about what I'm going to do with my life, I would want my friends to support me. Yeah. And so that's how you love people. I I would like my family and friends to gather around in the support of me divorcing that witch. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) You're the one that's got to say it. No, but but, but you you see what I'm saying there, though. Mm -hmm. And then, but then you take, you take everybody who's sort of in that boat. And then you take, uh, there's a, I have a bunch of people at my church that are just desperate to have proper understanding of all of it, anything that they have access to and they're reading and they're praying and just all sorts of things. And they're hosting um, people in their houses. They, they host Bible studies and they're doing things with their kids and they're, and they're reading every morning. And, and then you have, you have that group of people um, and then you have others that just sort of float in and out and it's like, they, it's the taste and see that the Lord is good thing from the Psalms, right? Mm-hmm. They, they know that there's something that's life giving that's involved in the group, but can't figure out, they're not sure what it is mm-hmm. or how to, how to access it. 
or how to get a hold of it. Uh, then you got you got people that are drug there because you know, you know mom says so or grandma yeah, says so. Or the wife so, says so or, or yeah, whatever. Sure, sure, sure. And just all of those different components. And then so pastorally, when I'm thinking to myself, I want people to know the Bible. I got to know it the best that I can for starters. But then also, I, I look for different opportunities in a church our size to deliver that information to people who need it at the different levels at which they need it, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I don't know much of a better way to do that besides getting groups of people, to, smaller groups of people together who are at a similar place that want to know a similar thing and teaching it, listening to them. And getting individual meetings with individual people and listening to their story, hearing who they are, what they're interested in, what they're trying to understand and what they're not. And sometimes you go to those meetings and you come out and you go, like, I need to preach the gospel to this guy next time. Yeah. Because I think that's the spot we're at. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, we're at step one. Yeah, we're, we're at step one here. And so, and that takes a lot of time. And that takes work to do. And um, so, yeah, maybe we can, maybe we can circle back to some of the, some of the pastoral stuff. Sure. It's just like, yeah, I'll give you, I read this once. Mm -hmm. This is, this is from John Piper. And so um, I I don't know if I've ever run across anybody who I agree with everything they ever said. You don't have to give that caveat here. Good, good. I, we don't, that's fine. If the he, guy said something intelligent, let's hear what he said. He re, he wrote this about pastoring, and I thought, oh man, <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. Okay. Um. So so this is a quote: A pastor who feels competent, and it's kind of long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, fine. A pastor who feels competent in himself to produce eternal fruit, which is the only kind that matters, knows neither God nor himself. A pastor who does not know the rhythm of desperation and deliverance must have his sights only on what man can achieve. But brothers, the proper goals of the life of a pastor are unquestionably beyond our reach. And that's the part where I started going, oh no, what's he going to say? The changes we long for in the hearts of our people can happen only by a sovereign work of grace. Right? Amen. So salvation is a gift of God. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2.8. Love is a gift of God. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Faith is a gift of God. 1 Timothy 1.14. Wisdom is a gift of God. Ephesians 1.17. Joy is a gift of God. Romans 15.13. Yet as pastors, we are told to save some. So salvation is a gift from God, but we're told to save some, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's 1 Corinthians 9.22. We must stir up the people to love. So love is a gift from God, but we're supposed to stir it up. <laughs> Hebrews 10.24. We must advance their faith, which is a gift of God. Philippians 1.25. We must impart wisdom. That is a gift from God. First Corinthians two, seven, we must work for their joy. Second Corinthians one twenty four. So I know that's a ton of verses and I'm, I've listened to you enough and I, I know you well enough to know that we could give the disclaimer that don't, don't trust what I say. The verses are there. Um, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, go, go back and read them and look and see what it says. And so then he says this, we're called to labor for that which God alone can give. The essence of the Christian ministry that is, is that its success is not within our reach. But there's, and this is me again, I've, that's the end of the quote. There's, there's a double-sided sword there, which the one side is, if all of those things are gifts from God, and he has promised because of his spirit, because of the work of his son, that he is going to finish the work that he began in people, then the success is assured. But all of the parts of it that I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. to create that success are completely out of my reach and control. <laughs> so, so you have these two, like these two parts of the coin where the job description is impossible, mm-hmm. but we've already been promised that God will fulfill it. And so it's a unique job that way. So you made me think of what God told Jeremiah and what God told Ezekiel when he was preparing them for their ministry. And then we could go to another one, but I might need a minute to look it up. And in Ezekiel, in chapter one, at the end of it, God said, they shall fight against thee. God told Jeremiah, or I'm sorry, I said Ezekiel, I meant Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah to go to the people in Jerusalem and he was going, well, he didn't have to go there. He was already there. They were under siege. He wasn't going anywhere. But God told Jeremiah that you need to go talk to these people and tell them this. And by the way, they're not going to listen. They're going to fight against you. And chapter one. Yeah. Chapter one. (laughs) It's a pretty long book. Right up front. God told Ezekiel the same thing. He said in Ezekiel chapter two, and they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear for they are a rebellious house yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. And God told Ezekiel very clearly. God told Jeremiah very clearly. God told many of the prophets very clearly, this is what you're going to go and do. This is what you're going to go and tell them. And no one is going to listen to you. And I don't know, not in every case, but in some cases, God might've even said, and by the way, they're going to kill you. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's usually what happened to prophets. And anyone that was a prophet in the nation of Israel must have known the batting average of prophets. I mean, that couldn't have been a secret. Everyone knew that a lot of prophets were killed when people didn't like the message that they were bringing. And one thing that I am reminded of constantly that is a great encouragement to me every time is, Patrick, it's not your job to change people. Yes. So let me ask you this, Zach. Have you figured out the magic button to push to get the people in your church to read their Bible and pray and obey the Bible? Searching for it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's always been kind of a running joke that I have with different pastors. You know, it's like, oh, have you been lately? Oh, great. Yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. Doing well. Still can't figure out how to make people obey the Bible. But because that's our goal, because we have tasted of the goodness and we know how much better life is when someone obeys the Bible. So we want that for everyone else because we love these people. We want them to have that. And then we read the Bible and we find out that what happened to all the prophets? Well, nobody listened to them. And I am constantly reminded, which is a great encouragement. It's not my job to make 
people obey God. As a matter of fact, I am completely powerless when it comes to that. So all I can do is try to teach them what God says and then pray and ask God to change the heart. Yeah, if there's anything that's a magic button, prayer prayer is the only it's the only one. And that's because the work of changing people is and, and then I'll tell you this, mm-hmm. when he does it, oh man, is that fun. I mean, that is just the absolute best. And he'll he'll pick the strangest people. Yeah. Sometimes. And somebody'll come up to me and they'll start saying stuff and what what have you been thinking about? Yeah. And I start driving home, I'm like God is working on this person mm-hmm. in a way that I, I I mean, you're not gonna pick this person to be like <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Here's the one that yeah. I, this isn't I, the one I would have picked. I could pick one, you yep. know? And it, because he's the one who starts to do those things. And so I've got um this is Eugene Peterson again. He's got a book called Working the Angles. Mm-hmm. And uh it's the It's about billiards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, billiards, yeah. <laughs> I can <laughs> I doubt that he was very good, but he may have been. I'm not sure. Um, and so he he uses a a triangle mm-hmm. as as the basis for for the book. And uh, just quickly, that when you look at a triangle, you always notice the sides. Okay. Like they're the length. Um, you're, is it an equilateral or an sure. isosceles? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. yeah Got like, it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And so there's three sides to a triangle. Mm -hmm. And he says that the three sides, like the visible components Mm -hmm. of pastoral ministry are teaching, preaching, administration. Okay. You could go in, you got enough experience, you know what you're up to, you know your Bible. You could walk into a church next Sunday morning and you show up for Sunday school class Mm -hmm. and you stay for the service and you stay 30 minutes afterwards. You are going to know how the teaching operates. You're going to listen to the pastor. Mm-hmm. You're going to know who does the music. Where's the offering box? Sure. What do these guys talk about? You read the bulletin. Is there a list of deacons or whatever the deal is, right? And and those are the things that are visibly seen. But a triangle isn't only made of sides. Mm-hmm. It's got three angles okay. as well. And when you look for them, it's not that hard to see them. But he says that the three angles are prayer, scriptural study, and spiritual counsel. And most of my pastoral work, I mean, I do a lot of teaching. Uh, Darren and I sort of share the preaching. Um, Church administration stuff, well, we got a whole meeting every week that's just completely devoted to Who's mowing the lawn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how are we going to get the food out there? Mm-hmm. And all this stuff. All the fun stuff. All the stuff. The reason I, you got into ministry. Oh, I just, <laughs> I, I, I sacrificed for the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. But the, but the angles, the, the hours of prayer, the hours of study that I do to prepare to teach, to prepare to preach, the hours of study that I do on stuff that I'm, have no plan to preach or teach yet but you just need to know because it's part of an of a larger message that you know you're going to cover at some point so you got this doctrine that you need to get worked out and figure out how to have an answer for it because yeah yep it's your Uh, job to know it and then then i've got my own quiet time Mm it's just there's just me and him and i do something completely different then and then spiritual counseling where it's like the marriage stuff where Mm -hmm. it's like it's me and a guy at a coffee shop for an hour right and 
people who I've done that with know what I do and that I do that, but nobody knows how many times in a week I actually do it. Sure. Right. And so, um, you have the sides that are sort of really easily seen visibly, but the angles are what are what kind of builds the the whole triangle. And I think prayer being one of those is just, um, I, you and I were talking about this maybe a month or so ago. I can't mm-hmm. remember for sure. I just don't know of a better way. And I think the I think what I said to you was, I have started particularly on Sunday morning. I get to the church about an hour and a half um, before Sunday school starts, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's opening the doors and starting the coffee and cleaning up the trash. And um, but I spend most of that time. It, there was, there was a stretch of time where I would show up and it's like, I've got an hour, nobody else is here yet. And I'm really going to tighten up. Like I'm going to go over the Sunday school lesson one more time. Sure. See if there's anything that needs cut or another idea I can fit in. Is there and, like, yeah, is there like one more brilliant verse line that's can, just going to yep. change everyone's life? Yep. And it never happens. Yep. And so I just started praying during that, during that time, mm-hmm. just made a total switch. And, um, whether or not I could even identify anything that's happened because of that, I, I don't leave, I don't know, but I'm convinced that that's the better thing. It's not like I don't prepare the Sunday school lesson. No, I get it. Yeah, I, I totally yeah. get it. And and if I can add to that, if, if anyone asked me, uh, as far as a new preacher or a new Bible teacher, you know, what do you what do you find to be the the the, the Patrick? What's the best advice you could give me? for me to do a great job because I want to do a great job teaching this Sunday school class that I just got, or I'm going to, you know, get my first chance behind the pulpit, you know, this Sunday evening. And I want to do a good job. What's the advice you can give me? And that's easy. Study way less and pray way more. Yeah. The whole thing is about the number of hours on your knees. And I have, I don't want to say I've run experiments on that, but it's so painfully obvious in my life that when I am in a rush, I always think to myself, okay, well, I have to get the verses on paper and so put I know what some to bullet say. points. Yeah, because I'm going to be standing there for 45 minutes talking. I better at least have something to say. So time has to go into that. And if I'm going to cheat anything, it's going to be my time on my knees with God. And it is so obvious when I am ahead of schedule and I can put in two or three times more minutes on my knees with God than I normally do, like kind of my minimum amount of praying to where I can feel like I'm a Christian about to teach the Bible and get away with it with a straight face. It goes so much better. Even when I don't feel like I'm ready to present the material in this chapter and I'm not confident that I'm going to have any information that's going to help anyone. If I spend the time in prayer, it always goes so well. And I can, it feels like it goes well and you can see it in everyone's face. People are more attentive and it's, it's such a simple formula. God's there. God showed up and, and, and the Holy spirit of God is guiding the meeting. And it's not Patrick Hayes guiding the meeting because Patrick Hayes can mess up a rock fight. Oh Yeah. And it's like, when I came to the realization that God can teach his word to people better than I can. Yep. It's like, okay. It, 
it doesn't mean that he doesn't want me to because mm-hmm. he obviously does. That's the system that he's put in place, but he wants people saying his word, preaching from the word so that when it's out there in the air, he can do his work on people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of like technical stuff. If I do the f- sort of the heavy lifting of the initial prep for anything that I'm going to do, I'm going to teach the following week. If I do it on Monday, I could be teaching Tuesday morning and Thursday night and twice on Sunday. If I do, if I put in some work and do, do the initial stuff kind of on Monday mm-hmm. and I was spending the rest of the time just in prayer and thinking about it and tweaking a thing here or there a thousand times better. Yeah. Every time. Every time. And I think it's exactly the same reason. It's not because my system's any good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I've submitted myself to leave space for God to do what he wants to. Yeah. And then he does it. Did you ever hear the story about um, Charles Spurgeon? And there was a group of young fellas. I think they were in the, you know, college or you know, Bible college or seminary phase of their life. And they were, uh, they, they had a weekend off and they decided they were going to travel. I, I believe Charles Spurgeon was in London, but honestly don't even, it's been so long. I've that, read his he, biography. He did preach there. Yeah. Yeah. I know yeah. he was based in the nation of England, sure, but honestly, sure. I don't even remember the city, but they went to, they went to his church and they got there early and Charles, uh, they saw this old man just kind of like sweeping up in the auditorium, you know, picking up trash and they approached him to ask where Charles Spurgeon was, and it was him. And he was like, just, you know, like walking <laughs> yeah, around picking up Spurgeon. garbage. Yeah. 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 And uh, he's like, oh, great. Thanks for, you know, coming. Uh, would you would you like to get a tour of the building? I'd like to show you where the heat comes from. And the kids are like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean they weren't going to tell the guy no, but in the in the in the essay that you know one of the kids is like we didn't come out here to see a boiler system yeah. that hates the church. <laughs> and Charles Spurgeon brings them uh down to this one room where um it was pretty dark. There was only, there was it was very dimly lit and he opens the door and he said there were over 100 people on their knees praying. And in preparation for that Sunday morning's sermon, you know, that he was going to preach. And he says, that's where the fire comes from. There you go. And he attributed all of his success and all of the power in his preaching to the prayer that was going on, not to, you know, what he said. Some of the people in our church who are the the most carnivorous, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the biggest meat, the spiritual meat eaters. Yeah. The place where they end up is the prayer meeting on Tuesday night. Huh? We have an Awana program. It goes on in the basement. Same time upstairs. We're praying all the requests that are on the list for the week. Um, everything that's going on in people's lives. We pull up a Psalm. Everybody (coughs) prays. We go for whatever it, takes yeah and but those those are the ones like those are the people you get a text message from and you go i want to see what's going through this person's mind mm-hmm. right now and um yeah i mean i just it's amazing too because isn't it 
like the Bible gives some indications of that being the case. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, that, that's not a new phenomenon. No, it's really not. But I can tell you this, as far as from the pastoral standpoint, I've been to Bible conferences at different churches and you usually, our little home church of less than 40 people is not going to put on a Bible conference. Okay. People are not going to, people don't want to hear how we do it. Okay. Because there's nothing impressive, you know, what's impressive is when you get, you know, when there's a comma in your average church attendance. Okay. (laughs) That's a big deal, you know? So usually these conferences are at bigger churches and I've been to a few of them and I, I heard this one pastor of the church and he was explaining, he says, no matter how many times we say it, some of you just, you're going to go home and you're going to miss it. You're just not going to get it. Yeah. It's not the type of suit we're wearing. It's not the color of the carpet, you know, it's not, and he listed a couple of things. He said, <clears throat> it's our walk with God. It's the thing that we can't show you here. You walk in and you see the large foyer or vestibule and it's like, wow, this is a great big building. Oh, that's pretty. They remodeled this and, you know, oh, look, yeah. they have nice monitors here. And they, and he said, it's none of those things. And so many times people come here and they want to have a successful ministry that reaches lots of people, that sees lots of people saved and gets them baptized and starts teaching them the Bible. And let's face it, who doesn't want that? Sure, I, I sure. want everyone here saved and baptized and yes. studying the Bible. And I hope more people come because th- there's no point in teaching the Bible if no one's there to listen. Like, you, you know, <laughs> right. you, you want people, and I get that. But so many times um, we will go and we'll be impressed with all of these things and we will take away the wrong ideas we will look at oh that that pastor has a you know he has a double-breasted suit and Mm -hmm. i only wear a single-breasted suit i wonder if i wonder if that's where the power comes from you know (laughs) it's these nonsensical ideas and and the pastor explained he said it you know it's your it's your time in your prayer closet it's your time with god you know it's god doing it we just show up because someone has to yeah yeah Somebody's got to say it, but but that kind of circles back to the beginning too. Like that you can build a proper skeleton Mm -hmm. to build the rest of the body on that, that is capable of holding all of it. Mm -hmm. And and prayer is part of that. Um, Understanding where the power really comes from, Mm -hmm. what matters and what doesn't. It's not like, you know what, go have good monitors. Sure. You know? Um, Yeah. Have, have air conditioning. Yeah, have air God conditioning. God knows we all wish we did. Right, absolutely. <laughs> like have that, but understanding that that's not rebuilding that system mm-hmm. is not the system ought to be an outflow of what God is already doing mm-hmm. in people's lives and in the community. And then you like you're looking for ways to help guide. Like one of the things about a pastor is. Um, and this is from Ephesians to equip people to do the ministry. Mm-hmm. And so when you have somebody that God is working on and, and they've got to toward the end of drinking the milk and they're ready to move on to something new, I ought to be looking for opportunities where I could step in to someone's experience and say, like, this is the next thing you kind of need to 
have you ever thought about going overseas yeah. to try something? Like, when's the last time you told somebody the gospel? Yeah. Like, personally, have, have you ever done it? Mm-hmm. And let's, let me show you how to do that so that we can equip the saints to do more work. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that, that's where the power from the whole thing comes from. Rather than sometimes we like, it's real easy to try to rebuild. It happens in sports all the time. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, those guys make a lot of threes. Yeah. Okay. So we'll go find guys that can make a lot of threes, mm-hmm. but they hate each other. Mm-hmm. And so they don't pass the ball and then it doesn't work and you yeah. get fired and you go, well, I did the same thing they did. Mm-hmm. You really didn't. You didn't. Yeah. It just looks like it on the outside. Yep. yep. Okay. So <clears throat> I want to change gears here a little bit. Uh, we talked, we beat up on pastors and all of our failings plenty. Okay, good. All right. So (laughs) let's get down to, uh, the, the, the two things, uh, that I'd like to beat up on next would be the individuals and fathers. Okay. Oh boy. So I'm going to start with fathers because I'm a dad. I have six kids. So am I. And we both know Zach, I'm just going to say that being a parent, I think, is the hardest thing that I do. It's the most difficult. It's the most complicated. It's the thing that I fail at the most. And it is hands down the most important thing that I do. Because God gave me these kids and he told me this is what I expect. And it's very important that I take it seriously and I try to do a good job raising his kids and I'll emphasize his. Okay. Mm-hmm. He lent them to me, but yeah. they're his kids. So I'll tell you for me, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but it really came down to when my kids were starting to be able to learn how to read and read well enough. And I was thinking to myself, man, I just need to make a change because we are not taking God and the Bible seriously enough. And I said, okay, we're just going to do it. We're going to figure this thing out. Um, we're going to make sure that the family is studying the Bible together because, you know, now they can. Don't get me wrong. I, I could have been doing this earlier, but I wasn't. Um, I could have been, you know, taking the Bible and teaching my kids even before they could read. But now I felt like we have no excuse. And I told my wife, I said, this is what we're doing, um, uh, ordering uh uh, some new Bibles for the kids because they had kind of cheap paperback ones. And yeah, I said, yeah. I want them to have a nicer one. And I said, we're going to start uh, reading the Bible together. And it was a train wreck at first. Sure. And we couldn't figure out a, a good time of the day to do it because we wanted to do it when dad got home from work, but that always changes. And, and we tried so many things that didn't work. And finally I said, forget it. We're all getting up an hour earlier. Yep. We are meeting down here at 6 a.m. And that's when we're going to do it because it's the only time that it's going to work. And I recognized a failure that I had as a dad. I was convicted. I don't even remember by what. I don't know if it was a pastor I heard or a family that inspired me or a book I read. I don't remember what it was, but it was clearly the Holy Spirit saying, listen, dummy, you need to step up and do your job. And we didn't. We changed that. And it's been our habit for years and years and years now. And kids have been getting older and learning to read and new ones are joining the table. So now Mm -hmm. there's four kids instead of three. And my daughter 
<clears throat> for her birthday this year, we're going to get her a nicer Bible and she's going to start, yeah. you know, adding to the table and soon we'll have all six kids there. And it's not easy. Oh gosh, no. It takes time and it takes energy and I never want to get up an hour earlier cuz I'm usually exhausted. But my kids now, Zach, if they always ask me before bed, dad, are we getting up at six? And when I tell them no, and sometimes I have to because I have to be at work super early or or I'm working out of town, I'm driving away at 5 a.m. or whatever. When I tell them no, they all are visibly disappointed and I'll hear them sigh and go, oh, they love it now. And it's a part of our life and you know, I screw up so many things in my life every day, and I'm so grateful that God continues to push me um, it, on this one aspect. So I just wanted to bring that up because if there's a father out there that is not doing what they feel like they should, you can make a change. Oh, man, yes. And it's going to be bumpy and it's going to be hard, but, you know, give it a couple weeks or a month and all of a sudden it's going to be normal. And then you don't ever have to go back and uh, you can raise your kids the way that you feel God wants you to raise them. You just got, they call us men for a reason because it's hard. Oh man. Okay. So we just have to, we have to do it. We have to make the change. We have to be the ones uh, to guide and lead our families, but it's not impossible. We, and, and another thing for dads do a bad job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you don't know the Bible well enough? Well, join the club. <laughs> sure. Okay. Read you know it, anyway. it better than your kids that have never read it before. Mm-hmm. So just get going and do something. Tell me your thoughts. I, my biggest failing as a pastor mm-hmm. by far is the... I'd, I'd love to figure out... It's the same thing. You'd love to have a formula. You'd love to have a number of hours. Like, sure. okay, you do X number of hours at yep. the church, and you do X number of hours of this, and X yep. number of hours of this, and Punch, you check out check the list. Check the boxes. Um, so I've been I've been doing it for about five years now. It'll be, I guess, four, four and a half. And uh, the ebbs and flows mm-hmm. of the time that I've been able to spend. So I've got I've got a weird family thing. i got three kids. Mm-hmm. Um our daughter is 12, our son is 10, mm-hmm. and then our other son is a year and a half, right? Big spread. Big spread. Yeah. And so, fair enough, whatever. Um, there was a time in the past couple of years when they were at home more. Can I okay. put it that way? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was so much easier. And now it's like, Ellie's got to be, Ellie's got to leave for school at this time. And Mm -hmm. Owen's got to leave for school at this time. Mm -hmm. Jess has the baby. And Mm -hmm. it's just, all of it is all chaos constantly. Yeah. And we have some systems already built in place. Mm -hmm. But if there's one thing, for a long time, it was trying to, it was learning pastoring to a degree. And it was always, man, if I could do this, and if I could get that done, if I could do this, and, but I think the same thing kind of goes for, for fatherhood. It's like, if I had X number of more minutes at this oh, time. Yeah. So it's not like um, it's not like there's neglect. But man, it's like, if I could get, if I get half an hour every morning, 
mm-hmm. I would just be and and we have some of that built into the early morning schedule and yeah, but the, the evenings are just fried. Mm-hmm. It's it's hopeless. But they're they're in Awanas on mm-hmm. Tuesday and we help them out with all of that stuff. They're in the Sunday school class. They're with us on Wednesday night. We have a Bible study that we go to. And then I've got a couple of things I do during the week. But it's always, I mean, if there's one thing that I go to bed at night and thinking, man, if I if I had 30 minutes back, mm-hmm. what would I spend it on? And I, I think at this point in my life, right now as we speak, it's it's teaching Ellie and Owen. I'll tell you something I've been doing too. Um, in my personal quiet times, I've been starting to just read Jesus's words. That's it. Okay. Like I, I know the stories well enough that I'm like, kind of know what's going on there, but just his words and that's all. And every once in a while you're going through something, you come up with an idea and you're like, Oh man, if I could do this mm-hmm. for X people and I could do this for Y people. And I could, I don't want to think of myself necessarily as just the pastor of the family because, because there are roles there that are different, but there is a component of that. Mm-hmm. That's like, some of the same job description that I have for the church is what I have for my wife and kids. Absolutely. And so, yeah, if I could, if if you pin me down tonight and you're like, Zach, do better at one thing, Mm -hmm. I think that would be the one that I want to do better at. And so again, it's a double-edged sword on the one side. It's like, I get it where dads are going. Look, I, I don't even see my kids. Yeah. Like I can't even find them. Yeah. <laughs> how, how am I going to get an hour a day to, but the, but the other side of the coin is like, but it's our job. Yeah. Like if we don't, it doesn't change who's that. Anything. do it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So one of the issues that I see, and this will work out for the dads in this scenario and for the Christians we talked about individually, it's either a priority or it's not. Sure. And I hate to be that black and white, but we all make decisions and our decisions come with consequences. And I'm just going to use sports because I grew up playing sports and I played sports all the way through college. And let me tell you, I was the kid that was, I I played soccer and I played soccer all the way through college back East. And I played on two or three different teams every year. And there was there was spring, <clears throat> there was fall. In the winter, we played in indoor tournaments. In the summer, we played in tournaments where we would travel on the weekends for so many weeks out of the summer. It was nonstop. And there is no way that I could keep up that schedule with any of my kids with any activity and fit in God in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. It's just absolutely impossible. So Joanna and I, when we had the kids and we were talking about it, cause we tried little league for a couple of years and we realized that the kids were just far enough away in age where we had three kids on three different teams. <laughs> and it's like, we're going to spend every Saturday for the rest of our lives at this little league park, this is insanity. You know, so we said, no, <clears throat> we're not going to do that. That's not going to work. Um, it's a shame, but guess what? Our kids aren't playing baseball. And you know what? 
Uh, none of them were going to make it to the major leagues anyhow. So, you know, what are they missing? So we're going to, they're going to learn some other skills. They're going to maybe be in a different uh, type of sport, or if they're not some other kind of group with kids. And if they're not, that's fine. That That's not going to kill them. Uh, I think parents have gotten so screwed up and cockeyed and backwards in the last 50 or 60 years thinking that if their kids aren't in a great sports program that they're all gonna just you know they're just gonna die yeah how can we call it childhood unless we're doing this and i don't know about you but none of my grandparents did anything like that oh yeah i mean i you know my dad played sports in high school yeah and things you know but like 12 year old kids traveling all over the country all over to the play state. yeah to play every weekend no. none of that stuff existed it was nonsensical yeah so I don't see that our kids are missing out, but we had to, the hours had to come from somewhere. That's it. They just have to. And I think of some dads that are in the oil field where they get a week on, week off, or two weeks on and one week sure. off. Let me tell you, that's going to be a lot harder, yes. you know, and dads that work nights instead of days. And I'm not saying that there aren't problems. We, I'm self-employed and our kids are homeschooled and I know I have more of a flexible schedule with those two facts than anyone in the world, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to give anyone a pass because God doesn't. Right. We still have to do it. I don't, I don't get a say. I still have to be a father and I still have to teach my kids about God because guess what? Nobody else is going to. And that's, that's the deal. And so then if, if there was a second problem, like, okay, Zach, what's the second biggest problem in America's church? Okay. Uh, distraction. Mm. I, I know it's one of the biggest ones for myself. Yeah. Uh, there are, I, I'm sitting here with an iPad. Yeah. And we were talking about a little bit earlier. Yeah. I got, I'm 13 seconds away from knowing any piece of information that I want to know about. Yeah. And with that, the whole time we've been talking, he's been on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just watching Breaking Bad. I got to catch up. For the third time. <laughs> Where are we at? I still don't understand. But you, you've got the entire, all of the information on the planet mm-hmm. at your fingertips. There's 100 million games. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, who knows how many TV channels are on there. There's every movie, every yeah. streaming device, and that's just digitally. Yeah. Think of all the other distractions that are out there as well. These stupid podcasts keep popping up everywhere, sucking your time away. Yeah, Yeah. and they all want (laughs) listeners, right? But it is, and this is what I've tried to be a little bit more careful lately, um, comparing our lives to lives from the past that I don't really understand that well. I get it. But... Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it anyhow. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyhow. It is so easy to be distracted. Yeah. People are taking their phones in the bathroom with them. No, I do. I mean, where am I going to catch up on my video games on my phone right. other than sitting on the toilet, Zach? I and don't so, have time for this. And so all of a sudden, it's... And we're not even talking about minutes. Yeah. Right? Hours mm-hmm. just fade away into oblivion. And you start stacking those up week after week, month after month, year after year. And so it's not even like I don't have the time to do it. It's there's almost anxiety that people feel because there is so much that's possible. Yeah. 
and you want to get your fingers on some of it and it never stops mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. And, and then we, and then we miss some of the basic things that we need to do because there's no time. And like I said, I can say that because I live it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a, that's not a, I, I mean, it, it is an indictment, I guess, on people who get distracted mm-hmm. as long as I'm allowed to raise my hand and say, I am too. Yeah. Right. And, and so I know that there's, I know that that's a, that is a big, big deal. No, it's the truth. Zach, we're sitting in my office and above me are bookshelves after bookshelves. And I hate to tell you the amount of reading that I have done has gone down so dramatically since I got married, since I got kids and since Netflix came out. Yeah. Because it's just so easy to not take time anymore. And it's really a shame. I, uh, if I didn't have my kids, if I wasn't married, I'm pretty sure I would throw my smartphone in the river and just get an old flip phone that doesn't do anything. Or, you know what, even get rid of that. If it wasn't for my business, you know, just have a home phone and be like, you know what, there we go. That's what I'm going to do. Leave me a message. Yeah, I was I grew up, everything was okay. I, you know, I'm just going to go back to that. Because I I did read more. I did spend more time appreciating things outdoors. I would, I, I, I remember I would take a walk at night. Oh yeah. With no devices because I didn't have them. And I would look up at the stars and I would talk to God and I would just think about things. And all of that is gone. Yep. Yep. And so then you, you take those two and you put them together and it's like, okay, do I get, can I get a third one? Mm-hmm. Like here's the third problem with the... <laughs> Um, the young men mm-hmm. and men, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've prayed about this more over the last five years than anything else. Mm-hmm. Young men who are going to constitute the next generation, 15 years from now, they're going to be you and me. Sure. And not married, mm-hmm. don't have kids mm-hmm. in college, um, working a regular job, working part time and just hours all over the place. Uh, I've given a lot of my life to college ministry, mm-hmm. partly because I think it is the most influential group of people uh, on the planet. Yeah. And they're one of the most lost groups of people on they, the planet. They're at a, a crossroads. And they have the most time. Mm-hmm. No, they're not at home mm-hmm. where they got responsibilities there. They're not married yep. and doing those responsibilities yet. I got... There's a bunch of kids I know that don't work on their way through college. They have scholarships wow, or grandma paid for it or whatever. And it's like, awesome. And they do great in school mm-hmm. and they're good kids. But you, with a packed schedule, you're in class 18 hours a week, <laughs> right? Like there's 150 other hours. Yeah. And so you have a group of people that are just, and they're desperate for meaning. Mm. And so- when you can reach those people and what we tell them is we tell them exactly that you got more time, freedom, mental capacity, focus right now than you will than ever you have ever for again. the rest of your life. You will ever. never get this back. If you spend those years playing build, video games, <laughs> then that's what you will be. If you spend those years building a foundation, mm-hmm. then you have when you lose the time and you can't read as many books yeah. and you've got the kids and you got to work the job, but you have that foundation built to stand on. 
it changes it changes the whole game. Mm-hmm. And so I I would love to see us focus a little bit more on that on that group of people. It's tough though. The statistically, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, the most lost place in Grand Junction is CMU. Mm. If you just take per capita, like yeah. the number of people who are on that campus on on any given day, mm-hmm. and you go, okay, how many of you are Bible believing Christians? Yeah. Compared to the entire rest of the county, yeah, it's lower than any other population. Yeah, I don't doubt it. And I mean, that's just it's what we're it's what we're up against. Um, but yeah, boy, those years because you're I, we all know it. As soon as you get a job and you get I, Thaddeus is only he's a year and a half old now. Mm-hmm. That first year, I mean, Jess is like it's a blur. Yeah, it's gone. She can sit down and read for 20 minutes and yeah. stand back up, and he starts to cry. Oh, yeah. And you go, hey, Jess, what'd you read? And she, yeah. I don't know. She's given her entire life to raising this kid. Oh, yeah. Right? In college, it's not like that. You know, when I moved to the Valley, I had, uh, I had just read through the Bible for the first time in my life. I had just started going to church. I got saved very shortly after moving to the Valley. And... For me, I was a brand new Christian that was not raised a Christian. Yeah. So I wanted to know everything. Yes. Because I was so mad that I had been lied to about so many <laughs> different things. And <clears throat> the internet was just starting to get like fast enough where you could stream a video. Yeah. And there were these preachers you could find. And I was reading books and I was already done uh, before I even went to college with the whole, you know, drugs and alcohol and chasing girls and all that nonsense that wastes all your time and money. And I was working a job and I spent so many hours reading books, reading the Bible, studying all these things because I was so curious. And I'm telling you, that foundation, I could still pull up Microsoft Word documents that I wrote down back then of things I was studying. Yes. You know, when I was compiling verses and um, and it helped me so much uh, for the times like this. And I'll tell you what, what you're saying makes sense because I went through it and I thank God that I had no life whatsoever and was curious about Christianity <laughs> because that's what I ended up doing by default was just working and then studying stuff. And, studying, yeah. and it really uh, has caused the rest of my life to be very different. And it caused me to look at God and the Bible differently than, you know, a lot of people. Okay. So let me ask you this, Zach. Uh, how do you get those individuals in college to take God seriously and put down the PS4 controller and pick up a Bible? Exactly the same thing that we said about everybody else. Mm-hmm. And again, like it would be so nice if you're like, man, I got this line. Yeah. I got this thing. And you like, you convince them that all their dreams are going to come true with yeah. all this stuff. And it's just not there. Nope. It just isn't. I, I've got, <clears throat> I've got the church roster. Okay. It's got 266 names on it uh-huh. as we speak. And at least once a week, I sit down and every name on that list gets prayed for. Yep. I've got a group of about got a group of about 10 college students, mm-hmm. like me personally, that I'm spending significant time teaching. Mm-hmm. And those guys get prayed for all the time. I got about five or seven more that I'm kind of chasing, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? 
um, that you know, sometimes they'll show up to a meeting and sometimes they won't and, and they get prayed for. And, and then we get, you know, we'll go have a meeting and we'll talk and like, what's, what's the deal with anything? Doesn't matter. You, you tell me what it is, but yeah, the trick is uh, you pray and you keep going. Yep. It's the only tricks that I know. No, it's the truth. It, it, it's all we can do. And I don't want it to sound like a lost cause or like we're hopeless when we say, oh, all we can do is pray. Right. Because you know right. the deal. That is the most powerful thing I have in the universe is I have direct access to the creator of the universe and he will listen to me. He promises every time I talk to him, it's insane to me. Yes. Uh, and honestly, that is the answer that God gives. One of my favorite parts in the Bible, and I, I was not prepared for this. I think it's in Second Peter, but I don't remember. It's in one of the two books uh, that Peter wrote. And it was addressed to wives, and it talked to them about it, how to change your husband. Mm. And it said, don't nag your husband, pray. Get on your knees and pray and let God change them. And I've talked to so many women that have taken that approach and they're like, it is ridiculous how fast God will change the heart of my husband when I go to him and put my husband's heart in God's hands rather than me trying to do it. And it's laughable because I can say the same thing about every person I love in the world. Sure. No matter how hard I work, I can speed the process up by a factor of a million if I will just <laughs> go to God and ask him to do the work for me. And that's one of those interesting things too, because you have to make, you have to say, I don't mean this to be a cop out mm -hmm. when we talk about praying. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's part of the skeleton. It's like, no, 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 no. You, that is how you partner mm -hmm. with the creator of the universe to change people's hearts, mm -hmm. which only he can do. Yep. Like there, there's no cop out there. Yeah. That's the number one weapon. Yeah. And so then I start, I start praying about things like, cause some, it's not like it feels hopeless because we know the story. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, but it's hard. Like it is a tough trip to be in ministry. But then there's times where I think to myself, you know, if each person in the church was able to see one person this year saved because of their prayer, yeah, you know what would happen? Yeah, the entire world would be saved in like twelve years. Yeah, the whole. Th so if it happens once, yeah, you double. Yeah. Like if there was ever a time in human history where the entire population of the Christian church doubled mm -hmm. in a year, we call it revival. Yeah, well, we, we call would. It, we call it miracle. They would literally write books about it. If we if if you if you take the entire world and you say, okay, we are point one percent saved, mm -hmm. which I I think is probably a bogus number, mm -hmm. but ninety nine point nine percent saved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said it doubling each year each person the only rule is if you're a believer you see one person saved that's it per year it takes 10 years yeah to get to 98% and and yet we're in this fight and we've done it for all these years you know 2000 years and we're still slaving away and and that's that's just what it is but i 
That's why that's why the Bible says so often, remain steadfast. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Yep. Just keep going. Keep on doing it. We're, we're waiting for the resurrection. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. All of this stuff needs to be fixed. Like, what are we doing in the meantime? Mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah. Give people a drink of water. <laughs> Tell them the gospel because that's the, those are the weapons that we have mm-hmm. to keep on going with. And so that's what we do. Yeah. That's mm. good. Okay, Zach, we've been going for almost an hour and a half. Do you have any questions for me before that? we kick it off? I'm I'm a heck of an interesting guy, so I'm I know sure you're you're a very interesting guy. I'm sure guy. you want to know something. Well, I mean, I didn't come with any questions, but but I do I do wonder like as a as a pastor mm-hmm. with a full-time job mm-hmm. that is not pastoring. Yes. Like what do you how do you juggle it? I don't. What do you... <laughs> I don't. I fail miserably at most things constantly. So a couple things. Number one, I would not wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. One of the problems is that for so many years, I, I've been self-employed for, I think I'm going on 16 or 17 years. And I... I'm a very driven guy, so I wanted to be successful. And no matter who you are, you measure a man's success based on dollars. Mm. And that's not a good way to measure a man. But it's what so many of us do because dollars come based on a man's choices. Yeah. So do you decide to work overtime? Do you decide to invest your money? Do you decide to whatever? Or do you decide something different? So it's a measure of a man's choices. And and let's face it, um, I have, there's eight of us in this house, so life isn't cheap no matter what. Right. And so you're, to some degree, you, you go after the brass ring. The problem is, you get accustomed to whatever lifestyle you're in. And my wife and I have been fortunate in that when I was young, I was given a couple of Dave Ramsey books and a couple of other books like that. So my whole life, I've been very averse to debt. I've been very much against it anytime I can avoid it. And and right now we have no debt. We 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 have a mortgage payment on a house, but sure, that's it. Sure. So we live below our um means, you know, and it's it's very helpful because that gives me the time to even be able to be a pastor of a church. Yes. Because if yes. I was if we were not in the position that we're in, it would be a heck of a lot harder because Again, money equals time. The founders of this country, the reason they were all able to leave their estates and go to Philadelphia and spend months on end in the Continental Congress and form this country is because they were wealthy and they had uh, stewards that they could leave their businesses in the hands of who could take care of it so they didn't have to be out in a field plowing a field. So money gives you time. It, re- it really does, it, and it gives you some level of freedom. 
So because for over 20 years now, we have tried to live below our means and stay out of debt and, and, and be smart with our money and invest our money, what that has allowed me to do is take off enough time to start and run a church poorly. Yes. And that's what I've been doing <laughs> for almost two years now. Yeah. <clears throat> because... I don't have the amount of time that I would like to have to spend with the people that, you know, are in this church, um, even praying for them, even educating myself and reading more books, mm -hmm. because the majority of what I do is work. That's the majority of what I do all day, every day. Yeah. And it's it, it, part of it is you have bills to pay, but the other part is you have these customers and you love them and you don't want to, you know, just tell them, sorry, you know, I can be there in two months, especially since what I do is plumbing, heating and cooling. And in the winter, their heat doesn't work. You know, I mean, yeah, you yeah. have responsibilities and it, it's very hard to juggle this. So what I usually do is I um, attend to the needs of the church uh, poorly because I also have a family of six kids and they need more time with their dad than I'm able to give them. So I hate it. I absolutely hate it. With that being said, I love teaching the Bible. I think you know that. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> I love talking about the Bible and we were doing that for people already. We had a Bible study at our house. So we started this home church and we've been, we've been doing this thing and you know, we, I've seen people saved and we've seen people baptized and people keep coming every week and we grow. We're, we've been growing steadily over this time. So it's something that we don't want to stop doing. And honestly, I th think we were talking about it earlier before the podcast. My dream is that this podcast and my videos that I have on Facebook and YouTube could grow enough to where maybe I could make some money doing those things so that I could stop having to yep. work construction. Now, here's the issue. Our church, I'm going to say 75% of the people that come, because we have our church on Friday nights, 75% of the people that come have another church. Wow. Yeah, they have a church that they regularly go to. Now, the funny thing is that some of them have told me they don't like it. Yeah. And sure. they, they've said, I've had couples say, Patrick, we don't feel like we've been fed from our pastor for 20 years. I'm like, 20 years? That's, you know, that's longer than I've been saved. And they're it's a like, lot of starvation. Yeah, it really is. You know, and for me, I mean, the thought that goes through my head is like, well, why don't you leave and find a place where you can be fed? But one of the things with that is you got to understand that somewhere between half to three quarters of the people that come are coming and using our church as a Bible study, which is great. I mean, we're happy to have sure, people. Sure. I mean, what you know, our goal is to educate Christians about the Bible. We're trying to teach people the Bible and help them grow. So we're happy to help those folks. But with that, you'll also have to understand that in a typical church, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that I explain it is that most churches financially are broken down into three groups. You have one group that's going to tithe all the time, no matter what, because they feel that they owe God the money and they want to obey God. You have another third 
that is going to tithe when they feel like they can afford it. Mm-hmm. And then you have another third that's just never going to give a penny to God because whatever, they're going to disobey God and they don't feel that they need to do it. So, sure. so that means that based on the time of the year or the seasons, uh, you're going to have between one to two thirds giving. Well, if you only have those percentages giving to your church and three quarters of the people that go to your church actually are members somewhere else, the amount of money that you bring in is going to be pretty low. So financially speaking, we have money that comes in every month from several families that tithe faithfully, but it's nowhere near what you need to be able to pay someone a salary, sure. let alone a ser- a serious salary where you could support a single income family of eight. Yeah. So I don't take a salary. Sure. We all of our money gets spent on missionaries and spreading the gospel. And it would be pretty substantial for us to be able to transition over to see when you're grown when you start a church and you're growing it to get over that hump to where they can actually afford because because think of this we're about to outgrow our house okay well great well what are our options well (laughs) you know there is park yeah so and we've talked about this nobody in our church has a bigger house than we do we have a family of eight. So when we built our house, well, guess what? We built a big house on yeah. purpose so we could fit our family plus in-laws when they come over for dinner, you know? So we built a pretty big house. So so nobody has a house bigger than ours where we could fit. At least that's comes yet. Maybe that guy will come that has a giant house sure. and we can go there and that would be wonderful, but it hasn't happened yet. So then we're left with, okay, we got to rent a space. So as soon as you start doing that, the finances of the church really take a hit because now you have to rent the space. You got to pay for the utilities at our house. We have, and, and a lot of folks obviously, you know, have that are listening on the podcast have never been here. We live on three and a half acres in the country. We have lots of kids that come with obviously, you know, their moms and dads come to study the Bible, but they're little kids that can't even read yet. They just go running out on the farm and the dog chases them around and they play (laughs) on the swings and they're, you know, and they just occupy themselves. Well, if you're renting a space, what do you do? You can't do that anymore. So guess what? Now you either have to take people out of the church service to watch the kids, which is not preferable if it's a small church service, or you got to hire someone to do it. So you got to hire a babysitter. So all of a sudden, out of the three F's of church growth, which are finances, facilities, and faculty, we need more finances and faculty as soon as we move up to a larger facility, yes. which we need pretty soon. So even in the church growth that we have, we're not getting closer to me being able to draw a salary and have more time to spend helping grow the church and serve the people as I would like. Right. We're actually getting further away. Yes. So I really have absolute, 
Zach, when we started our home church, I really thought we were just going to be, you know, a dozen or 15 or 20 people for the rest of my life, just getting here and studying the Bible on Friday nights and that's it. And unfortunately that hasn't happened. We've grown and grown and grown right now. If everyone showed up, that is a regular person. If they all showed up on the same night. Yes. I don't know where we'd put them. No, you we, couldn't. We've already borrowed chairs from your church. We, while we were waiting for the chairs that we bought to come in, <laughs> you know, extra fold-up chairs, we rearranged our house to fit more furniture here and there to make things work. Um, but yeah. I don't, I don't know how it's going to work. I'll tell you this. I said it before. I'll say it again. I would never w- wish this on my worst enemy. Mm. Working a full-time job, especially being self-employed, and trying to pastor a church. I don't know why the people keep coming. I honestly don't because I don't feel like they're getting their money's worth from me teaching them the Bible Yeah, because I don't have the time to study and pray and serve them as I would like to. So we're just keeping this thing together with duct tape and bailing wire, and I don't know what's going to give. I really have no idea. Right. So Every once in a while, God shows up and he's like, no, you know what? I got a plan for all of this. Yeah, I'm and waiting so, for that day. Yeah, and so I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna tell Patrick what it is, nope. but I've got. <laughs> but I've got a plan for it. And we'll see what. You know, Harder Junction. Before I was there, um, uh, they I think were renting uh, hotel rooms. Okay. Around town, mm-hmm. and then uh, ended up buying the first building that they were in with a with a car loan. Like wow. s- some guy sorted out this deal for him, and I, it, I mean, it was just God does God does some amazing things. But no, I mean, you're right about all that stuff. And a boy, I mean, you you've been in our building, you know the sure the second you've got a building that's your own, yeah. You, if you're not renting, oh then, yeah, then you've got a payment on that. And oh yeah, you got to put the air conditioning. You on got maintenance and you to got, do. And, oh gosh, and, and honestly, and th- this is something that you know how we were talking about the the Bible conferences before, and they're always held at these big, nice churches. A lot of these big, nice churches have a Bible college associated with it. And these kids that go to this Bible college, I feel like they are not adequately equipped to face one fact of working in churches, and that is the church you're going to work in when you graduate from this place is not going to have a maintenance department. Oh, man. It's not going to have a cleaning service. It's not going to have a lawn maintenance crew because it's a small church and there is no money. And and guess what, Seminary. assistant pastor? Guess what your oh, job's oh, going to hey, be? D- <laughs> I, I, got the, I got the power rake rented for tomorrow. I'm going over there to take care of the grass. So there ought to be, there ought to be an extra year mm-hmm. added to seminary i agree and in that year you, you learn, learn plumbing, how to hang drywall electrical yeah, you do <laughs> yep. zach you have no idea how many of these young guys that get out of bible college that have told me the exact same thing you know because it you're the one that has the time yep. you know yep, and exactly. everyone else is working and unless you have a professional that goes to your church that knows these skills you know sometimes a small Southern Baptist church in downtown Grand Junction is just blessed with an amazing guy that comes along that has skills and is happy to do all these wonderful additions to the church for free. It really is great. But that's pretty 
rare. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I did last week? Uh-uh. I bought uh-huh. a car uh-huh. that has been abandoned on our property. Get out of here. I had to chase down the previous owner. The, sure. The owner that, that did have the title. Mm-hmm. Never got it changed. Yeah, so it still belonged to the previous guy before that. Right. You had to find them. Go to the DMV with him. Yeah. Meet him there. Yeah. Buy the car from him. Mm-hmm. Like he, he got a new title issued. Yeah. Then I buy the car from him. Yeah. So that I could sell the car yeah. to somebody who wants to fix it up. Yeah. Or haul it to the screen. Yeah. Because it was abandoned on the property. And Nobody else has time. Who's yeah. the, who? My people can't go meet somebody that they sure. don't know at the DMV on yeah. Friday at noon. Yeah. Like, that's not... And, and what class in Bible college did that fall under? Well, it's, yes. <laughs> this might be a good one for people to know now that we're an hour and a half. Yeah. Now that we're an hour and a half into this, I have some seminary... I've taken some seminary classes. Sure. But I don't have a degree. That's fine. Yeah. I, and, yeah no, yeah. I know that that's fine. I yeah. barely made it through high school. I I understand. I understand. <laughs> But yeah, like that's just, um, we have a property there that we're renting, mm-hmm. right? The parsonage. And, and I did, I don't know how much work I did in there. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just, yeah. But you, you find, so in Acts, mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah. They're just finding a way Yeah. to like, holy, hold on. Two weeks ago, there was 120 of us. Yeah. Now we've got 3,000. Oh, yeah. Who's going to pass out the sandwiches? I could not imagine what that next week would have been like. Oh, I would have been. I mean, I would have been like, <laughs> I was just fishing a couple months ago. Like, yeah. now, you know, now I'm in charge of taking care of how many thousands of people? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, it's a great problem to have. But honestly, I have no idea what God's going to do. But does that change anything? Nope. Now, the fact is, I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to have a lesson. When someone calls, I'm going to help them. And that's all I can do. And I hate to say it, Zach, but we are doing what we're doing because other churches are failing. And you're going to have people show up at your church because the church that they were at was failing them and they needed help. And, you know, so and we gonna... have people leave. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I mean, lots it's just it's just a thing that happens but i think and i don't know if maybe you want to know if we want to end on this but um <laughs> something really gloomy <laughs> so yeah something really really gloomy um i know exactly why jesus said you um i, I know exactly why he said the field is ripe with harvest mm-hmm and so you pray for workers mm-hmm. because there, if if there's one guy on the college campus meeting with ten people, there's twelve thousand people there. You got one guy meeting with ten of them. Yeah, there's a hundred guys meeting with ten people. Then you've got an entirely different story. Yeah, if there's a thousand guys meeting with ten people, the other two thousand people on campus are going. Well, how come nobody wants to meet with me? Sure. Like who can, um, and so like my, my prayer for churches all over the place is like, and again, I was, I was thinking about this on the way over. If Heart of Junction was the worst church in the Valley, mm-hmm. I'd be really happy. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a part of it that's like, oh man, I've got to do like uh, the worst. Like, 
I, I can do better than that. And, sure. and we all can. And I've got great people here. And what are we? But, but the again, the flip side of that coin is like, if there were X number of churches in the, in the valley and they were all really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then you start going, okay, wait a minute. We can, God's doing something here and he can continue to do something more. And I, there's a lot of times where it's just, you, there's stylistic stuff or like, um, if a head pastor at a place rubs you the wrong way, I think there's a, there's a decent case to be made for having chemistry mm-hmm. with interpersonal oh, relationships inside a church. And it's absolutely. fine for people to move on to other things. Yeah. yeah I got I, no problem with that. I've always said that, um, you know, I, I've heard, I've talked, I mean, you and I have talked to so many, you know, Mormon missionaries, you yes. know, living in Western Colorado, you know, and they seem to like, you know, stand up straight and be real proud of the idea that, you know, uh, they are this one church that is homogenous and I'm like, guys, that does not look like a sign of strength to me. That looks like a sign of a scary cult. Okay, there is an idea that there are a variety of churches out there because people have individual beliefs and they differ from one another and different churches are going to start. And sometimes you're going to find, like you said, it's going to be personality or stylistic where it's like, I really just don't, you know, get this guy. This guy doesn't fit with me. And, you know, you find a place where you do fit in and it feels like home. And guess what? That's fine. Oh yeah. It's better for both people. Absolutely. I have no problem. I have families that come to our church where I've thought to myself, I'm like, man, they ain't going to make it, (laughs) you know, because they just are so different and they, you know, kind of, bring up differences and they just argue with me about stuff. And in my head, I'm thinking, why don't you find the church that makes you happy? Because it doesn't seem like yeah, what yeah. you're learning the, here. This isn't going to do it. Right. Yeah. And that's okay. We can still be friends and I can still love you, you know, but I don't see, I don't see it as if someone leaves my church and finds an, a place where they can call home. I don't see that as a bad thing. I think yeah. that's a great thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and me, I think, me neither. Yeah. And it's a great thing when someone else finds us and they're like, man, this is a breath of fresh air. This is just what we're looking for. Well, glory to God. I'm glad Perfect. that yes. worked out for somebody. Yeah. And then it's like, if you had a city with a hundred of those yeah, and then you can, there would be places for people to go to know that they could learn. And so, yeah, I, I don't know a ton about what goes on day-to-day, week-to-week in a lot of other churches. I know I know a group of some pastors, and, mm-hmm. and, and we, we get together and we talk about some things. But but one of my prayers really is that. that I mean, I don't pray for Heart of Junction, Junction to be the worst sure. church in the, in the valley, but I pray for all of the churches to be glorifying to God mm-hmm. in the way that He sees fit. Yeah. And, uh, and pray for workers. Yeah. Because the same thing. Even if you full full time mm-hmm. pastoring, you still only have X number of hours that you can actually absolutely like you could devote your whole life to it. But mm-hmm. you still I got two hundred and sixty six people, and I did the math one time. I was like, if I because uh, I'm uh, thirty two hours a, a week uh, mm-hmm. a month, no thirty two hours a week, mm-hmm. thirty two hours a week, and I said okay, if I devoted the same amount of time to each of the people on the list. 
every single week, mm-hmm. how much time would it be? Sure. Divide it out by. Yeah. And, and at that moment when I did that, I think it was like six minutes <laughs> a week. Right. And so the first time you sit down and have coffee with somebody for an hour. Yeah. You already made it. You you've used up their time. And yeah. Yeah. 12 other people's time in that one hour. Mm-hmm. And so you start thinking to yourself, like, there's just no, there isn't enough time or capacity that people have to get everything done that you wish you could. Mm-hmm. And so I know exactly why I said you go pray for workers. Yeah. Because then I can call somebody, I, I can shoot a text message and yeah. I can say, Hey, so-and-so I need you to check on so-and-so. Yeah. And when they call or text and talk with them mm-hmm. and then they can do it. Yeah. And, but that's the body. I mean, that's the, that's the body doing what the body does. Honestly, you, you really answered, um, one of my questions, which was, you know, what are we going to do next? And my thought was always, well, when we outgrow my house, we'll just split the group in half and someone else can take it. Someone else could take it. Yeah. yeah. Well, guess what? That someone else hasn't shown up yet. And, Mm -hmm. and we even brought this before our church and everyone basically said the same thing. They're like, well, I'm not leaving. Yeah, right. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. they're like, well, well, we love it here, you know, and they're yeah. like, you know, and, and I, and there was one couple who's very sweet and we love them dearly. And, and the wife said, you know, Patrick, we're here because of you. Yeah. You know, they said, you make us feel welcome here and we love you. And that's why we're here. So they're like, you can do whatever you want, but we're going to go wherever you are. Yeah. So that whole splitting the group thing, that's fine so long as we're clear that we are not leaving. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, that idea, you know, didn't really, you know, get wings and and, and start moving. So that's what we're up against. Zach, yeah, we are awesome. grossly out of time. So All right, cool. uh, thank you very much for coming. Yeah, excellent. And uh, next time I have you, I'm going to have a specific topic that we're going to talk about. And I'll give it to you ahead of time. So, you know, it won't be um, as meandering as this. We'll dig right into something. and <laughs> That sounds good. Yeah, stick our teeth you, into something. I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of yeah. on Sunday nights. So that's good. When you're... When you're stuck and you got no other plan, you got everything else is falling apart. And I'm going to figure out how to do this video thing to get both of us on here without the echo on the video. I don't know how that was because it is nice when we do this that people can type in comments and ask questions and kind of be a part of it. So this was our first time trying that and it clearly failed. And I'm sorry (laughs) because I did test it and it worked earlier today. So I don't know what I'm doing, but we'll get it figured out. So thank you very much. And um, thank you everybody for joining us here on Bible Thumper where somebody's got to say it.